After a lifetime of researching the dynamic and enigmatic world of light entertainment, I've decided to ditch my notebook and meet the people who inspire me. What makes them the people they are? How do they feel about the show business landscape in which they find themselves? And in a world where anyone can be a star, is there still a need for performers who have universal appeal? Come with me on a journey of discovery as I get a unique insight into Britain's favourite stars with a little help from my glamorous assistants. Yeah, well, I say glamorous, more like hazardous. And of course, we'll have a bit of fun along the way. Theatrical agent turned television consultant Ian Freeman was born into the world of entertainment when his uncle Lou Grade laid the integral foundations to secure the rights for independent television in 1955. Following in the footsteps of the Grade dynasty, Ian found himself as a theatrical agent working in one of the most formidable agencies in the world under the legendary Billy Marsh. Today, Ian is the treasurer of the Royal Variety Charity, the sole beneficiary of monies raised from the annual Royal Variety Performance. I was interested to hear his side of the British entertainment story and get his thoughts on the future of Variety's biggest night of the year. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Ian Freeman. We'll get on to your contribution to the Royal Variety Charity in a second. Okay. But you started your entertainment career as a theatrical agent working for London Management. That's right. Formerly the uh, grade organisation. That's it. What sort of grounding and influence did this have in shaping the rest of your career? Well, it was a great being an agent was and learning to be an agent and learning from the very best people in the business at that time. We're talking about the late 60s and early 70s. So the best people at the time in the uh, the best agents in the light entertainment business uh, were at London Management in those days. Uh, People like Billy Marsh, Keith Devon, Cyril Berlin, they're all sort of legends in their own lifetimes. They're all obviously long forgotten now. But uh, to learn from the best people, it was the best possible way to learn the business. And I mean, I had two, three years there where I was just working with the top agents and working for top artists, working with top artists. So obviously it was uh, it was a great grounding. Uh, I can't imagine I would have got that sort of grounding anywhere else. And also for a young man, as I was sort of 19, 20 years old, it was, um, it was a, a revelation really. I'd only ever seen show business from the sort of the top end, but actually starting at the bottom and learning how to... Um, how to sell basically you're selling acts it's the same as selling baked beans or uh, bottles of water you know it's <laughs> except as we used to say baked beans and bottles of water can't talk back to you <laughs> but basically you're you know you're selling uh, and I learned from the best so it shaped yes it shaped the way I've operated ever since in it, whatever career I've been in and every day I use a piece of information I learned in those days to, to get me through. Now, in 2007, continuing your family's long association with the Royal Variety Charity, then the EABF, you became honorary treasurer and trustee. Mm-hmm. Being in a family with so many emotional ties to the charity, what were your initial thoughts on taking up the post? Well, initially, uh, I was um, initially I was just a member of the executive committee. That's when I went in. Um, the date I can't really remember, uh, but I could let you know at a later date that um, I, I joined the executive committee just as a member there. And I mean, when our and I 
enjoyed it and sort of worked hard for the charity and you know continuing the family uh the family connection with the charity uh it was good to be a part of it and uh, our um, treasurer uh Mike Ford sadly passed away and uh I was approached uh by the chairman to say would I would I take over which I I gratefully accepted uh I think that was I'd have to look up the dates, but I think that was around 20, uh, 2013. I became treasurer. And then subsequently I was appointed a trustee. I've got all these dates somewhere, but I don't have them, unfortunately, in my head. Uh, but if you need to know that later on, I can let you have that information. Um, so that's just putting the dates right. Um, what was the, the basis of the question? Sorry. What? Uh, being in a family with so many emotional ties to the charity, what were your initial thoughts on taking? My the initial post? thoughts were fear, uh, terror, horror, <laughs> um, followed quickly by determination to make my mark and to do well and to uh, work as hard as I possibly could for the to ensure the well being of the charity financially, which was my is my responsibility. And to continue the family tradition because Bernie Delfont reactivated the EABF as it was then, you know, um, in the 70s. And uh, I was determined that I would be part of the team that uh, continued the work of the charity and of our care home, uh, Brinsworth House in Twickenham, where we look after 36 elderly uh, members of the entertainment profession. And it's not just performers. We have people there who are behind the scenes as well. Uh, and it's uh, Brinsworth House, is, the home is at the very core of what we do. Uh, we support a lot of other people in their own homes as well, with you know helping them to pay some bills and stuff. But the care home is, a, is, a, the, the, is the basis of what we do, is the most important thing we do. So I felt, well, honoured, I suppose, and proud to be a part of this wonderful organization which has been going since 1908 uh, and um, it's not glamorous I have to tell you. but I can read a balance sheet and I can uh, having worked in the commercial uh, leisure sector for a public company for many years I, I learned a lot about finance and uh, I, th I like to think I'm bringing something to the party that I'm you know making a difference and, and continuing the great tradition Brilliant. It's commonly known that the Royal Variety Charity's biggest night of the year is the Royal Variety Performance. Yet the charity does so much more than that. Give us an insight into what else you do in terms of fundraising. Okay. Fundraising is, is at the core of, of what we do. And yes, the Royal Variety Performance is our single biggest fundraising event. Um we rely on it for the for the good of the charity and without it we would have a lot of trouble existing our other fundraising uh events include we we have a very good relationship with simon cowell and and his show britain's got talent where we receive uh 15 pence from every phone call vote uh that is made to the show um that uh income is also very important to us it's a six-figure income each year um, obviously um, with technology now and people can vote online um, the number of phone calls uh, to voters cut down but it is still a, a 
major source of income to us and we're eternally grateful to, to Simon and the people at Psycho and ITV for, for you know for for tying up with us on this. We hold other events. We hold fundraising lunches. Uh, we do one every couple of years at the Royal Garden Hotel where we have great entertainment and raffles and prizes and everything and people uh, come to the event. Uh, we have smaller events. I mean, you know, just in, a, in the home we have raffles, we have um, uh, days out, we... It's very difficult trying to find fundraising activities that are new and different because everyone does raffles and everyone does you know, things like that. But we try to find something a bit different. Uh, we uh, we do shows. We put our, we had a, um, a show in association with uh, the United Grand Lodge of England, the Masonic uh, Foundation. We put on a show at the Palladium uh, last year which raised a considerable sum, an old-fashioned variety show, uh, which raised a considerable sum both for Masonic Charities and for uh, and for uh, Royal Variety Charity. That was staged by our chairman, Giles Cooper. Um, we, it's, it's difficult finding, always finding something different to do, but we have a, a fundraising committee and they, they are constantly trying to find ways to raise more money. Raising money is what we have to do. Mm. Now, I suppose one of the possible criticisms that people could have with the charity uh, is that it could be considered as the elite helping the elite. <laughs> For those who are unfamiliar with the work of the charity, give us an insight into the people that are supported by the Royal, Royal Variety. Okay. It's a popular misconception that everyone in show business is well off. I mean, we know that. People think that because they're... The public think that because people are in entertainment, they're, they're uh, wealthy. You know, this is so absolutely not the case, as anyone in the business will be able to tell you. <laughs> um, the people we help are people who are um, who have given a lifetime service to the charity, to the entertainment industry, uh, in uh, various different ways, and who are no longer able to support themselves due to infirmity or generally not you know not having family around and are not able to live alone or don't wish to live alone uh, those are the people who we will look after in the care home in Brinsworth House now as far as funding of care is concerned um, many people many of our residents fund themselves they are able to do so in instances where they're not we obviously as a charity will will help with the funding we'll also we also approach local authority their local authorities to uh, assist with funding many local authorities are are happy to do that um we have around a hundred other people beneficiaries who we give grants to or who we who will approach us maybe for a one-off because uh, they're in a bit of difficulty maybe they've been injured or they're confined to bed they're ill for some reason and they're having trouble uh, paying a bill or or um, find, obviously finding work if you're not well enough to do so. And we'll um, give grants. In some occasions, we give people uh, vouchers for supermarket vouchers for food. Um, but everyone we look after is people who are not able, through no fault of their own, to look after themselves. And there is no elite... Uh, that we there, there's no one elite that we look after we rely very much on donations and sponsorship and 
funding by people in the industry who are comfortably off to help those people who are not. What is your role in the development process for each Royal Variety performance? Like, when does the planning start for each annual show? Okay, the the Royal Variety performance is planned uh, by our chairman, Giles Cooper, and our life president, Laurie Mansfield, in association with our um, broadcast colleagues at ITV. Uh, I'm uh, personally uh, not strictly speaking involved, but everyone, uh, every senior member of the charity is involved at some stage with some function of the Royal Variety Performance because it's a huge thing to organise and it's a very, um, it's obviously the most important thing we do each year. Planning starts uh, usually in January uh, of, the, of the year. Uh, our uh, chairman and life president will meet with uh, with the the uh, representatives of the royal family uh, to discuss dates and um, when would be the most suitable time uh, for the show to take place. Uh, there will then be throughout the year meetings with ITV um, discussions about um, the kind of artists we want. Obviously, a theatre has to be found. That's uh, Vital, and we have a very good relationship, obviously, with uh, Sir Andrew Lloyd, with Lord Lloyd Webber, who owns the London Palladium, and we try to do it there whenever we can. Um, it's the, the Palladium is the sort of spiritual home of the Royal Variety performance, really. Um, so planning starts. Well, I say January. I mean, planning starts pretty much the day after the previous shows uh, <laughs> taken place. Um, so we have that to plan. Artists obviously are are selected and ideas thrown around a uh, table between ourselves and ITV. People are approached. We also have, don't forget, we have to plan our after show party as well, which is another um, source of income for us. It's it's an exercise really to say thanks to our people and everyone who has uh, worked on the show, but also people, uh, the public pay uh, to come and, and we have a fantastic after show party and banquet at the Grosvenor House uh, with more entertainment and um, it's uh, it, it's it's a full time job planning the Royal Show um, tickets go on sale around uh, March or April each year the show is normally November December, uh, usually November uh, tickets go on sale March or April um, they sell out very quickly we're able to release some more later on we hold some back um, because we don't know where ITV are going to want camera positions and so on and so we have to hold blocks of seats back later on in the year they release those they say oh, we don't need this particular area so we can sell that um, tickets sell out pretty much as soon as they're put on on sale and then there are people waiting for for more later on um, it's uh a long, grueling planning process, but it seems to work. Why did the BBC stop broadcasting it every other year? Um, we did a, a deal uh, about, it's about eight years ago now, we did a 10-year deal with ITV um, to, uh, to broadcast the show. I think it was just a question, I wasn't involved in the negotiations myself, but I think it was a question of just going to the two major broadcasters, BBC and ITV, and saying, well, guys, you know, what? how do you feel about this? And ITV coming forward and saying, we'd like it. 
for and we'd like to sign for 10 years and I think that was probably the reason there was certainly no arguments or or anything with BBC we're very friendly with the BBC of course uh, I think it was just um, a question of ITV being the first the first to the table if you like to say um, here's the deal what do you think of it you know it doesn't obviously preclude uh, us from talking again to the BBC at a later stage you know what effect did it have not being on a Saturday night? Okay, it used to sort of normally be on a Sunday night. Um, uh, do you mean on TV? On, on TV. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, traditionally its spot was a Sunday night, actually. Um, and we are obviously, you know, we talk to the broadcasters about when they uh, feel they would like to show it. What's uh, effect did it have obviously viewing figures during the week are lower than they are at weekends I mean we knew that's goes without saying for any show um, I think the thing was ITV wanted to have it have the show spearhead a particular day of the week they've 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 chosen really Tuesdays now as as, as the day to show the show although that obviously that can vary year to year particularly as it's shown in the run-up to Christmas, so they don't know what they're going to have then. But I think uh, they saw it as a booster for uh, midweek or early week rather than a secure Sunday slot. Uh, we're fine with that. Um, the viewing figures, obviously, for ITV are very important. They have to sell advertising around it. And if they're confident that it's play, it's it will work on a week on a weekday night, then that's fine with us. Absolutely fine. Um, obviously, a weekend uh, is is a sort of natural place for a you know big variety show, but you know um, needs must. And uh, ITV are running a business, and uh, it's not for us to interfere in that. In what ways has Britain's Got Talent helped to extend the appeal of the Royal Variety? Britain's Got Talent was a wonderful, has been a wonderful PR uh, bonus for the Royal Variety because it's it's brought the show to a wider audience, particularly a younger audience who may not have been too aware of the show or not interested in it. Uh, but the fact that one of the prizes. Uh, on top of the hundred thousand pounds, one of the prizes that the the winner of, of uh, BGT gets is a spot on the Royal Variety performance. Has been uh, wonderful PR for the show, uh, and obviously um, the income that that it provides uh, from um, telephone votes, um, the money is is fantastically uh, useful to us, and also thirdly. It gives it gives the show a bit of a lift because we are seeing we will have on the show the winner of the only primetime talent show on television. And don't forget, Britain's Got Talent is just part of a worldwide franchise. There are forty Got Talent uh, franchises around the world, and Britain's obviously Britain and America are the two biggest ones, but. It gives the show, uh, the Royal Variety performance, some extra kudos as well because, you know, we have on our bill the winner of the top one of the top talent shows in the world. So it works both ways. But certainly we'd, um, 
we're very, very grateful for, you know, for having uh, the relationship that we do with Simon and with Psycho to, uh, to, to work with them on, on, on Britain's Got Talent. And there's been some terrific performers on there and some terrific young artists and that, you know, helps us as well. As a television consultant, what do you believe are the biggest threats facing British television today? Uh, obviously, uh, if we're talking, are we talking creatively? Everything. Everything, <laughs> okay. Um, all right, well, technology-wise, obviously, traditional viewing of television is changing. That doesn't mean, luckily, that there's any less demand for product or content, because there is. In fact, there's much more demand for content now. When you look at Amazon making their own shows, Netflix making their own shows, uh, it, the whole system has changed. But there is still a huge demand and a, and a much larger demand for content. So as far as production is concerned and for producers and independent producers, the market is much wider and more open than it ever was. So that's a good thing. Traditional television viewing uh, is changing. People are not sitting around uh, of an evening as a family, putting on the TV and watching something live. Uh, time shifting is very important. Uh, obviously, downloading, streaming and so on is all very important now. Um, again, the same applies, although the ratings might look a little bit different. You know, when you think that in the old days, Morecambe and Wise had 35 million people watching their show, and now to get seven or eight million to watch a show is a huge figure and will put you at number one in the top three of the ratings. But that is just the way, um, that's just the way change happens. And change happens everywhere. As far as demand for content is concerned, it's greater than it ever was. And there is some wonderful content coming out of this country now. I mean, terrific drama, wonderful entertainment, great comedy, great sitcom. Uh, young young writers, young sitcom writers. Now that we're people are, are, that are being nurtured by by BBC and ITV here, Channel Four and Sky. Um, so I think things are things are changing, but for the better. Now, one of the striking things about your career is that beyond entertainment, you also have dabbled in the leisure industry. Yep. Is there a correlation between leisure and entertainment? Yeah, sure. Leisure is show business. Uh, if you're looking at, uh, I spent 14 years in in uh, what we called out of home leisure. In other words, um, things you had to go out and do, like going to a restaurant or a bar or a pub or a nightclub or tempin bowling or bingo or seaside shows or anything live entertainment. You know. Um, and yes, there's a correlation there. Um, leisure is show business. I mean, when we were operating just under 100 nightclubs across the country, um, to walk into one uh, and see the way our team were, were operating, it would, wouldn't happen now. Things are totally different. But if you've got an enormous nightclub, 3,000 capacity, it's run like a... It, it, it's show business. Everyone's on show, the bar staff the management you know you're you're as though you're in a you're in a show a very big show and a very long one goes on from eight in the evening till four in the morning <laughs> so yeah I think there is a big correlation there and of course a lot of a lot of leisure venues provide entertainment as well uh, and um, yeah leisure is show business it always was and we always used to tell our people don't forget you're in show business 
Mm-hmm. People are watching you. That's right. Now, looking back at your career, what is your proudest achievement? <laughs> That's a very good question. I've achieved. I've had a. I've had a uh, plural career. Now, I've done quite a lot of stuff. Uh, mostly in entertainment, but I mean, I spent a lot of time in the film industry, but again, we're back at entertainment, aren't we, in the film industry? Um, I think my proudest achievement, and I say this purely off the top of my head, is becoming a treasurer and trustee of the Royal Variety Charity. To me, that is the most important thing I've done. Uh, It doesn't pay me anything in cash, but it pays me a hundredfold in uh, the knowledge that I'm helping, the knowledge that I'm being of use to people in the profession and to my own profession. It pays me uh, in the feeling that I'm helping. Uh, the money, it doesn't matter. I, that's my greatest achievement. Someone else might say that their greatest achievement was, I don't know, um, doing some fantastic deal that netted them 200 grand in their back pocket. Uh, That's not what I would claim. I would claim my charity work. uh, And I'm also a a Freemason. And uh, we raise a lot of money for charity as well. So I I like to feel the charity stuff I do. And that's without saying, you know, anyone can, can throw money at a charity and say, well, here's a million pounds I don't have that ability what I give is time and effort and I think that's that's my that's the thing I'm most proud of is that I'm able to do that Mm. that's good finally what is next for Ian Freeman death (laughs) 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 any, any minute now um, no, what is next is more of the same. Uh, I've got some ideas for new TV show that I'm thinking about with someone else. I've got some uh, plans to uh, do some stuff abroad, maybe in America. Uh, but at the moment, it's it's just keeping my head above, getting on with what I have to do, uh, and making sure that I can make a difference. Mm. Because that's what it's all about for me. At my age, I'm 67 now. You know, I've done... There's there's nothing great I'm going to do that I could have done when I was 35 or 40. But what I can still do is, is help to make a difference. And that, to me, is the most important thing. Thank you very much to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview. If you like this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy? Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time for another Beyond the Title interview.